Our psalmody for tonight is Psalm 22, which is found on page 127 and following of the hymnal. We will read this responsibly with the congregation reading the part after Colby. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my Lord. O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy. O oh, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delights in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me. For trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bowls have compassed me. Strong bowls of action have they set me around. They gaped upon me with their mouths. As a raving and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them. And cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. Oh, my strength, ask thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword. My darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye, the seed of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all ye that for he hath not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard. 
My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will take my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. And none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be blessed. That he hath done this. Please be seated. We will continue with the lecture. The reading for tonight is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verses 21 through 47. And they compelled one Simon the Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand, and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, and saying, Ah, thou hast that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days. Save thyself, and come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking, said themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the centurion which stood over against him 
saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the less, and of Joseph, and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. And now, when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled that he were already dead. And calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And when he, and he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus beheld where Jesus was laid. This is the word of our Lord. We will continue by singing the offertory.
text for tonight is taken from the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John from another one of the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. This is the word of our Lord. Dear Christian friends, have you ever been on a long trip, and perhaps more eager to reach your destination than to actually be traveling? I heard this more than once when I was a kid. Getting there is only half the fun. I always had my doubts about the relative proportion of fun involved between getting there and actually traveling. Driving long stretches or being stuck in airports did not seem like it ever gets to be half of the fun of getting to the place that you were going. But more than anything, after a long trip, you want to hear, we've made it, we're here, it is finished. Now, the events of Holy Week stopped resembling an American family vacation pretty soon after Palm Sunday. Very soon, the Pharisees were attacking Jesus again, and the rulers and chief priests were more or less openly plotting to seize him and put him to death. The Last Supper was coming up on Thursday night, when Jesus would first give his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. But also, he would be betrayed, he would be arrested, he would be tried, and stormed, and beaten, crowned with thorns, and finally crucified. This was near the end of a journey that even Jesus himself asked not to have to take in the Garden of Gethsemane, but which it was very necessary to be complete for all of our sakes. On Sunday, we looked at how Paul held Jesus up as an example for all of us, as the one person in history who literally has it all, who literally knows it all, and how instead of flaunting those abilities and those rights, he used them to redeem us from our sins and from our unrighteousness. These moments on the cross are the tail end of that journey, a journey that had been foreordained before the world was made, but which God had prophesied and communicated for many thousands of years. And as had been the case so many times in Jesus' public ministry, the full significance of those events simply did not dawn on most of the people, even those who were eyewitnesses to them. Crucifixion, was a uniquely miserable way to die. The point of the cross was to force the crucified to strangle himself on his own collarbone and provide just enough support to make the misery last as long as his strength would hold out. The footrests that the Romans attached to crosses were to prolong the torture so that the person who was being crucified could push up with his feet just a little and get a little more air. Meanwhile, the people who were being crucified were subject to the weather, to the mocks and insults of the crowd, and to the certainty that their lives would soon be ended. And if they happened to survive too long, the Roman crucifixion detail, who was always close at hand, would break their legs with bars or hammers to make sure that they could no longer prop themselves up or stand and get any more air. Why, oh why, would the Lord of creation himself, the eternal word, the Son of God, who made all things, subject himself to such a fate. 
there are probably a million or so more dignified and less painful ways to die. He could have drowned in the storm, he stilled on the Sea of Galilee. He could have allowed himself to be stoned by the crowd that objected to him using his divine proper name when he said, before Abraham was, I am. It was theoretically possible for these things to happen, but we know that he would not have allowed it, and indeed he did not allow it. He did not take the easy way out, and he most certainly was not there for his own benefit. As we said earlier, he literally is God. He has nothing to prove to anyone. No one can give him anything that he does not already own, or that he himself did not make or create. And when we look at ourselves, what do we see? Just like our first parents, Adam and Eve, we want to deflect the blame for the things that we have done wrong. Did God say not to do it? Certainly he didn't mean that. Will you really die? It's not my fault, it's your fault. You put this woman here with me, as Adam once said to God. We can hear ourselves saying and thinking the same things still today. For we are still infected with the same sin that first infected our parents, Adam and Eve. And God could have washed his hands of all of it. He could have simply destroyed Adam and Eve right then and there, but he did not. Instead, he made them a promise. A promise that he would someday send a man, the seed of the woman, who would crush the head of the serpent, that is, the devil. Later on, he promised Abraham that in his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Clearly, a continuation of that first prophecy. And in Psalm 110, David calls his own descendant Lord, a crystal clear depiction that this coming Savior would have to be both God and man. And David and the prophets, especially Isaiah, had many things to say about how this Savior would have to suffer to fulfill the prophecy. In Psalm 22, nearly a thousand years before Jesus, David prophesied about what the experience of the crucifixion would be like. And I'll remind you here of these words that we just spoke from Psalm 22. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. And here we can clearly see how Jesus fulfilled these things, being surrounded by the Roman soldiers like the strong bulls of Bashan. We can see that he thirsted uh, as, as David prophesied. And we could see that his strength was finally waning and finally gave out. Also, Isaiah famously prophesied about the pain and the suffering that would be part of Jesus' final mission on earth, that Jesus would have to endure in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Indeed, this journey that Jesus was finishing had been a long time in coming. Even from the perspective of just Jesus' earthly ministry, which was about three years long, this was the very end of that road. In fact, for all of the time since the fall of Adam and Eve, some 4,000 years at that point, give or take a few, God had planned for this crucifixion. If we want to be technical about it, God had planned this from all eternity. John would later describe Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world in Revelation chapter 13. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, 
whose names have not been written have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He had planned for Jesus to be there and to do this very thing at this very time and in this very way. As it turns out, we do have the answer to this question of why Jesus would do this, why Jesus would suffer in this way, right here in our text. It was only when he knew that all things were accomplished and that scripture had been fulfilled that he was ready to die. He was not going to give up or quit on us because this was the very reason he had become man in the first place. As St. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The physical horror and pain of crucifixion were indeed terrible things to bear. But in the process, Jesus Christ also felt the almighty wrath of God. This was him becoming a curse for us. The law in Deuteronomy chapter 22, which Paul is referencing here, points ahead to the kind of death that Jesus would die. And similarly, during earlier in his public ministry, Jesus likens himself to the bronze serpent that Moses raised up such that when the Israelites were bitten by the venomous serpents, they could look to the bronze serpent in faith and be healed. In John chapter 3, we read, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And again, later in his public ministry, also recorded by the Apostle John, in John chapter 12, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. All of this, the pain, the torture, God's almighty wrath, he suffered for us, he suffered for love. No one could force him to do it. He did it out of pure love and mercy. He could have resisted, he could have stopped, but he did not. His love for us was stronger, and he knew that this was the only way that our great debt could to God could be wiped away. And so thanks to him, it is finished, as he has said. Scripture has been fulfilled, and his blood and death have paid a full ransom for all of our sins, and for all of the sins that have ever been committed in the world. Let us ever be mindful of what it cost him, and let us always be thankful to him for doing that. And on Sunday, we shall once more celebrate his glorious victory over death, showing us that we too need no longer fear death or hell or Satan because Jesus alone has done what needed to be done since he was the only one who could. It is finished in his name.
thy prayers be set before thee as incense. Continue now with the bidding prayer which we will pray for, found on page 103. Brethren, let us pray for the whole Christian church that our Lord God would vouchsafe to defend it against all the assaults and temptations of the adversary and to keep it perpetually upon the true foundation of Jesus Christ. Almighty and everlasting God, who has Revealed thy glory to all nations in Jesus Christ, and the word of his truth. Keep, we beseech thee in safety, the works of thy mercy, that so thy church, spread throughout all nations, may serve thee in true faith, and persevere in the confession of thy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for the ministers of the word, and for all the states of men in the church, and for all the people of God. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose spirit the whole body of the church is governed and sanctified, receive the supplications and prayers which we offer before thee for all estates of men in thy holy church, that every member of the same in his vocation and ministry may truly and godly serve thee through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for our catechumens, that our Lord God would open their hearts and the door of his mercy that having received the remission of all their sins by the washing of regeneration, they may be mindful of their baptismal covenant and evermore be found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Almighty and everlasting God, who dost always multiply thy church, and with thy light and grace dost strengthen the hearts of those whom thou hast regenerated, confirming unto them thy covenant and faithfulness, grant unto our catechumens increase both of faith and knowledge, that they may rejoice in their baptism, and really and heartily renew their covenant with thee. Amen. Let us pray for all in authority, and especially for the government of the United States, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. O merciful Father in heaven, who holdest in thy hand all the might of man, and who hast ordained the powers 
with thee for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. And of whom is all rule and authority in the kingdoms of the world. We humbly beseech thee, graciously regard thy servant, the President of the United States, the Governor of this Commonwealth, our judges and magistrates, and all the rulers of the earth, and all who receive the sword of thy ministers may bear it according to thy commandment, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray, our Lord God Almighty, that he would deliver the world from all error, take away disease, ward off famine, open the prison, set free those in bondage, grant a safe return to the wayfarers, health to the sick and to our mariners, the harbor of the church. Almighty and everlasting God, the consolation of the sorrowful and the strength of the weak, and the prayers of them that in any tribulation or distress, crying to thee graciously, come before thee, so that in all their necessities they may mark and receive thy manifold help and comfort. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for peace, that we may come to the knowledge of God's holy word and walk before him as we come a Christian. Almighty and everlasting God, King of glory and Lord of heaven and earth, by whose spirit all things are governed, by whose providence all things are ordered, who art the God of peace and the author of all comfort, <coughs> grant us, we beseech thee, thy heavenly peace and comfort, that we may serve thee in true fear, and the praise and glory of thy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for our enemies. God would remember them in mercy and graciously vouchsafe unto them such things as are both needful for them and profitable to their salvation. O Almighty, everlasting God, who through thine only Son, our blessed, <coughs> blessed Lord, has commanded us to love our enemies, to do good that, to them that hate us, and to pray for them that persecute us, we earnestly beseech thee that thy gracious visitation, all our enemies may be led to true repentance and may have the same love and be of one accord and of one mind and heart with us and with thy whole Christian church through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for the fruits of the earth that God would send down his blessing upon them and graciously dispose our hearts to enjoy them in submission to his holy will. O Lord, Father Almighty, who by thy word has created and doth bless and uphold all things, we pray thee so to reveal unto us thy word, our Lord Jesus Christ, that he dwelling in our hearts, we may by thy grace be made meet to receive thy blessing on all the fruits of the earth, and whatsoever pertains to our bodily needs, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Finally, let us pray for all those things for which our Lord would have us ask, saying, Our Father, who art Amen. in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Forever and ever. Lord be with you. O God, from whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works do proceed, give unto thy servants that 
world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey thy commandments, and also that I be, we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time and breath in Christ. Through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Bless we the Lord. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all.
Blessed good evening to all our most dear Father. We certainly look forward to seeing everyone for Easter Sunday worship on Sunday morning. Don't know if there are any other announcements. I think everyone here should not be worried for now. Lee, do you have any announcements? Okay. Great. Um, blessed good night.